what I've been seeing, of course, and I came from a life of, you know, being overweight, smoking, eating bad food and, you know, sitting, just sitting around playing video games, watching like shows and all this stuff. And, um, that was considered to be very normal. Nobody thought I was doing anything extreme. And then, you know, like whatever, a few years later when I was running around in the streets in my underpants in winter and, you know, doing like carrying sandbags through the street and all this stuff, people think I'm crazy. And, and normal is not the same thing as, as well. It's not the same thing as healthy. It's a very important thing I realized very early on. Welcome to episode three of season four of Movement Matters. If you're listening, all you movers, those of you who know it matters, if you're listening on Saturday, the day it's being released, February 13th, uh, happy Valentine's Day weekend. I keep wanting to say Thanksgiving weekend, which it's not, not that that's ever a weekend anyway. Uh, happy Valentine's Day weekend, if that's something you celebrate and care about. And if you don't, happy Saturday, February 13th. My guest today is very important to me. Not that anyone isn't, but this was a this is the first of a kind of guest, and I'll get I'll explain what that means. Um, but he's somebody that I've wanted to speak with for a while. I wanted to I want to meet someday, and I guess that gets to the point. We've never actually met in person, and season four of this show is going to have a quite a few of those kinds of guests where I. Well, hopefully quite a few. I'm still working on securing a couple spots, but uh, I've never met these people, and that's wonderful for me to get to experience connecting with them and recording the initial connection and seeing how that goes, and it's um, it's going well so far. I've done two of these so far, and and I'm really, really glad that it's happening. It's good for me, and I hope it's good for you, more importantly, if you will. Casper uh, Vander Mulen is my guest today, as I've said, and I'm mostly going to talk about him here in the intro. I'm not going to get into anything too personal, I guess, at least not without relating it to this uh, to this episode. He is in the Netherlands. I think he's outside of Amsterdam, and that's where we spoke. He was in the Netherlands, and I was here in Doylestown, and we connected. I think there's a seven-hour difference, and it ended with him needing to go to bed. <laughs> um, why Casper? For I assume some of you, that's an inch, that's an important question. You may not know who he is. If you look him up, you'll quickly see that he is a self-proclaimed biohacker. The breathwork biohacker is what it says on his uh, Instagram page. Also, optimizing the human experience best-selling author of a book that I highly recommend called Mind Lift, Mental Fitness for the Modern World. Um, so he is a published author. I believe he's working on his second book. Uh, he also does a lot of courses online. Uh, he co-founded, as it says, the gym. Um, I believe it's called Move, Lick, Move, Lift, Act, Breathe, or at least that's the sort of tagline that goes to the, the gym in the Netherlands. 
uh, which he went to the morning after we recorded this. <laughs> so all of that, that's the easy stuff. And again, the key thing is breathwork biohacker, um, author of this very good book, Wim Hof practitioner, which gets to how I heard about him first and connect wanted to connect with him. Um, and featured in a book that I also highly recommend called What Doesn't Kill Us, How Freezing Water, Extreme Altitude, and Environmental Conditioning Will Renew Our Lost Evolutionary Strength. I mention all of this as well as uh, bringing up XPT because this is the backstory for how I had heard of Casper and why I wanted to connect with him. And we don't talk about any of that really in the episode. <laughs> We don't talk about breath work really at all. We don't talk about his book. Uh, we don't talk about Wim Hof. We barely even talk about our appreciation for the cold, uh, freezing water to be specific. It comes up, but it's really not at all a focus in this episode. And I'm delighted that that was the case, which I'll sort of explain. But um, I just think it's good to give you a little backstory about how I'd heard of Casper. So all of that information is relevant, but the initial thing that brought him to my attention was when I took the, well, XPT more or less started in 2018. I'd read that book, What Doesn't Kill Us, before that. That led me to XPT. And in XPT, the um, the initial program for the the training referred to Casper because of his... Um, I guess pioneering is entrepreneurial pioneer pioneering work around breath work, so to speak, and breath science. And he has this great quote, which is that the breath is the remote control for the nervous system, for the brain. I've always thought that is a brilliant line. And I hope someday I come up with a, a line as <laughs> quotable and as memorable because it is, it is so spot on and so succinct in its power. So I'd heard about Casper through that context of, of this guy who said, yeah, the um, breath is the remote control for the nervous system, et cetera, et cetera. The brain, or sorry, your breath is your brain's remote control. That's what I was looking for. So I'd heard about him and I was, I've been paying attention to him on social media. And I found that he is an extremely I, in my opinion, he doesn't want me to necessarily say this, <laughs> an extremely relatable and approachable and down-to-earth guy, all of which are compliments, for the record, Casper. Those are compliments. So we've been communicating. And it was obvious this could turn into a really, really good conversation. He's clearly open. He's clearly present. He, I've seen him doing other... I've heard him talking to other people. This could go well. And I was... My, all of my expectations were met and more. So long introduction there. And, and that's just the backstory for how I even heard about Casper and why I reached out to him. But what really happens here that I'm so happy about is that we connected because of just being people. It had nothing to do with any of those um, identity components or, or prejudices, if you will, or predilections about each other. It, the only thing that really comes up is like, hey, I'm here in the US, you're over there in the Netherlands. What do you think? What do you think? And that was so refreshing to be able to connect on that level and to see um, 
just clearly how much of a global society this this whole lovely thing that we are doing is. And I really am glad for that. So thank you, Casper. Uh, before I say more, here's a little bit about one of our sponsors. <laughs> the Native Cafe in downtown Doylestown. If you have not yet gone to Native, I you obviously need to for the coffee, but they also have an entire half of their food menu dedicated to Jay, one of the, no, the face of the business, if you will, in my opinion, one of the owners, because I believe he and his wife own it. Um, Jay's background with uh, Thailand and his, his love of Thai cuisine. Half of the menu integrates Thai cuisine. And if you haven't had Thai food in a while, or if you miss Thai food and you're jonesing for some Thai food, get on over to Native Cafe. I would get the holy basil breakfast wrap. Native Cafe. Go for it. So Casper, so many good little tidbits here. Um, the one other obvious piece I want to highlight is there was, of course, we acknowledged the pandemic. We acknowledged COVID and we specifically acknowledged the word crisis. And there's this moment where I very <laughs> knee-jerkly sort of think, oh, what if we relate to the crisis as an opportunity? Do we need to call it a crisis? And I really like, I sincerely like the way that he almost, he reframes that for me in the moment in such a clear and, and accurate way, which is to say, there's nothing wrong with calling it a crisis. And actually to try to refer to what's happening as an opportunity, or at least to even mostly want to look at it as an opportunity, is very silly, I'll say. I'll, I'm going to call it that. Because this is a crisis. And as he, I think, almost directly says, this suckiness is a part of life. And if we try to ignore it or negate it or act like it's not, sucky we're only essentially i guess you could say we're just um holding off on the the feeling we're just suppressing it that's the i guess that's what it is we're just suppressing some sort of feeling it does suck and there are so many crises and we actually do connect about those in a way that again i found incredibly refreshing it had nothing to do with our profession at a nothing, or at least really not much to do with our professional worlds and our um, relative expertise and, and the work we do. It's just, yeah, this is, this is heavy shit. <laughs> Let's not forget that it is. That particular part of the conversation was a real, it was a real kernel of, uh, a real memorable kernel for me. Not to say that the rest isn't, but that one in particular. Um, near the end, we really get into this kind of question about like what would be the main thing we would both love to have happen uh, globally if there was one thing, like if there was an easy button or if there was just something that we could, that we actually had the power to, to switch. It's fun to unpack that one too. We basically arrive at, well, we would probably do the work that we do, which is, or we would encourage the work that we do to be essentially more um, normal. That is somatic work. I really like this one idea Casper throws out about <laughs> um, 
sort of jokingly, he says this a number of times, like what if there was like a, an international day of blank? And one of the ideas is an international um, psychedelic day. <laughs> it's a neat idea. It may, it may come to that at some point. We'll see. Anyway, I wanted to give you a sense of how I um, approached Casper. This is, a, this is a bit of like talking to a celebrity for me. Uh, it was delightful to be able to do, an honor, and there are more of these kinds of episodes to come where you hear me literally talking to somebody for the first time. It's great, and I hope you enjoy. I think that's it. I'm just looking through the notes here. I think that's all I'm going to have to say for the intro. You know, that might do it. Once again, I'll just say thank you, Casper. And, uh, okay, yeah, that's it. Enjoy the episode. Ta-ta. So this is your studio at home? At home, yes. In the Netherlands? In the Netherlands. So have you, all right. <clears throat> it's a little shocking that people still, supposedly in the Netherlands, find your running around in, in your backyard half naked to be weird. Is that, is that true? They still think <laughs> it's weird over there? Over less, and le less and less people think it's weird. It's, I must say, when I started doing this stuff, it was 2014. And it was like the weirdest thing to many people. Yeah. And now, and of course, when I just got into it, I was in, in my honeymoon phase with the cold. So I would literally go crazy and I'd be out like running like in my shorts, uh, barefoot, like out in the rain in winter and all this crazy stuff. And uh, I would get a lot of comments and, and now people are more used to it. And I, actually right now, like I've, I don't, I've never seen a year where there's this many people that are actively going out into the cold. So it's, it's pretty amazing. Good. So you're not that weird anymore. <laughs> I don't know. I can't judge that. <laughs> Stand out less. Well, I was hoping when I saw that one thing, I hope his neighbors embrace it. I hope his neighbors join him. I know they don't really hear. Not quite yet. Or at least not in my particular neck of the woods. Well, that's the thing. I mean, it's not normal. Uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> It's it's a funny world, you know. Like uh, I really like my I've I've you know neighbors all around, and I really like them. And some of them are like, you know, in the morning. Just this morning, as I was recording a video out in the snow, uh, talking, I I could like was that the one I just watched? Yes, yes. <laughs> I could smell his cigarette smoke coming over the fence, and uh, I was like, yeah, we live in different worlds. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Cigarettes. There's something I've never bothered trying. I uh, had a very long relationship with those. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's tempting. You know, obviously, we've never spoken. It's tempting to know a bit more about your background, but it's admittedly not the top of the list, but I am curious, especially because 2014 wasn't that long ago. Um, I first, I think, like I mentioned to you, XPT was the the main context where your name popped up, but I did read that book where you were mentioned um, what Doesn't Kill You, mm -hmm. Scott's book, and loved that. But that was 2016. So you were really, really quick to make a name then for yourself. I don't know. I don't know how, how much <laughs> my, I don't know how much my name has been made. Um, <laughs> well, you were in Scott's one. book, which was pretty good. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, definitely. It's I've been very blessed uh, to be able to uh, to spread my uh, my teachings and uh, to travel and meet many people along the way. So yeah, no, definitely. This is uh, uh, a, a relatively. It it all came relatively quickly as soon as I fully aligned myself with with that purpose and jumped quit, in. Let really. me quit smoking. Yeah, well, yeah, quitting smoking was 2012, so that was only only two years before I got into uh, into all of this stuff, you know. So to me, it's a completely different life in it many is. ways. It's looking a different back, way of living, yeah, yeah, on many many levels. Well, I think you've made a relatively big name for yourself. I mean, in the XPT community, your name was thrown around relatively frequently. I did that course, like I said before, um, coming up on three years ago, just the intro and. Yeah, people talked about you a lot in that context. Your big quote yeah, it's funny. I, every now and then I hear stuff like that where I'm just like, "Oh, little old me, that's cool." Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, it's, that's probably what makes you cool is obvious humility, and you're extraordinarily approachable. Nobody's ever responded so quickly like you, and and so um, authentically. It's don't don't refreshing. tell anybody I respond quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, you had me on a good day there. Now I'm, I'm trying to not respond as as quickly, and and I don't do most of my of my uh, emails anymore, which is good. But um, yeah, no, I, I really you have a team. You know, the, yeah, I have a I have a little team working with yeah. me. Very very blessed with these guys. And the thing is that um, I really really want to be as let's say as approachable. Approachable is maybe not the right word, but I, I really like. Human interaction is the one thing that that makes this work. This work, and there's a point mm. where the audience gets big enough where I can't do all of the interactions anymore. But um, I'm going to keep outsourcing anything else uh, to, so that uh, um, interaction and connection uh, will be my main thing <laughs> for as long as I can. Uh, so that's a process I'm in right now, actually. Yeah, I would. Um Imagine the work would start to seem sort of mm, different, I guess, to keep it really neutral, but it probably wouldn't even seem like the same kind of world if you lost that kind of, I don't know, it's an overused word, but groundedness or humility or just foundation with the actual point of being with other humans. I can imagine yeah. myself wanting to maintain that hypothetically. Who knows what my future holds, but we'll see. Yeah. No, absolutely. And the thing is also that a lot of the messages I get uh, and emails that I get are really heartfelt. And uh, so the most important thing is that, um, you know, my team makes sure that I get those messages and I make sure that I answer them. And sometimes it takes a long time and, you know, but it's always it's always beautiful. It's always beautiful for me to hear from people how my work has influenced them, but also to to really read these deep and profound questions, especially now that I'm not traveling and actually teaching in front of audiences and I don't get like people telling me their awesome stories and asking me their questions. It's such a blessing for me to be in touch with really what this work is about. And, um, especially right now, I'm, I've like, <laughs> I've said in, in ways that I feel like, um, all of the work I've been doing in, in the last years, uh, it's almost like a training montage for what's going on right now. You know, it's like, uh, mm -hmm. it's like I, I was, I was just getting ready and I felt like I was really doing it, but I was like, Oh, this is, makes a lot of sense to me that you know my work now um is seems to be more important like all of the messages all of the teachings i've been trying to spread now suddenly are um more relevant and more urgent for a lot of people so um 
Yeah, it's a blessing to just be in touch with the audience. Having little contact with any Dutch folk or anyone in Europe, for that matter, right now, a very few, I don't want to assume, but I guess you're referring to the pandemic and COVID? Yes, and yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Good not to assume, though. How? Okay, so what is that like over there right now, specifically well, actually, just for you and your neck of the woods? Well, so right now there's a there's a lockdown going on, so I can't go and and travel and teach groups. The funny thing that's is, though, been I'm the a, case though, hasn't it? For it's been the case, yeah. We've well, I mean, we've had this nine the, months now, essentially, right? Yeah, well, we yeah we've been in this for ten months. In, in the summer, there it, we were the the regulations were less and less. Okay. So there Same was some here. some things possible. I was able to run a few events. All the funny thing is, though, I, I have or? been no, yeah. The, um, now I've ran some things inside, and there are right. some regulations that we've had to had to make sure we could stick to. Um, and I try to not be too busy with that, and not to be too bothered with these things because, um, yeah. Now thinking about it, I've actually always said, like, right now, now, now that now is the time when it's really important to do this work. And every time, you know, <laughs> life takes turns, and I'm like, wow, now, no, now it's really important that I keep doing my work and keep aligning myself with this path. And so it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of been there, and. Um, but it seems that this uh, pandemic is making a lot of the things that I was doing and teaching about that were more kind of almost like a luxury. You know, the fact that people go and like work on, like do movement and go work out and train and work on their breath and get their mindset right and you train with hey, the cold and use hermetic move, triggers. lift, act and breathe. Exactly. Like those things have always been important. Yeah, that's, that's I founded a gym based on those principles. Um, They've been important to me, but a lot of people haven't seen the necessity. And now I feel like there's a there's a, a really it's almost like a huge wave of people becoming aware of the necessity of these things. And um, sometimes that's out of like this fear mindset of like, oh, I don't want to get sick, so I'll I'll go and do these things. But a lot of times people are also just really waking up to all the potential that they carry within them and are like, wow, I'm gonna gonna use this time to. Um, to live at a different in a, in a different way at a different level. Yes, that seems like the best critique I've heard for the last almost year. Obviously, it was March thirteenth was the big day for us last year. For, it was a Friday. We all of us around here remember it very very well when everything started to shift and we realized there was something actually to pay attention to. It was that day in particular. But the biggest critique of leadership that seems relevant over here, at least, is the lack of messaging about how to actually just be healthy, so to speak. It's not happening at all, which, of course, it only happens with people, I guess you could say, in a sort of still like alternative leadership context, yourself, um, people doing this kind of work, and people who are focused on primarily taking care of themselves, even if it isn't in a honeymoon sort of <laughs> attitude yeah. anymore. <laughs> But it, it isn't even close to a normal message at all yet. Um, it's still all about prevention, still a lot of... And I, I don't have a um, cart or a horse in the race with regard to vaccines, but there's obviously a lot about that. Generally, there's very little conversation aside from sort of alternative or not mainstream settings about actually taking care of yourself still. Um, so I was curious if that was the case. 
Well, <laughs> seven seven months into this whole thing, our prime minister suggested that it might be a good idea to go for a little walk every day. That's that was like the one lifestyle Bare, without thing. a shirt on. <laughs> <laughs> no. You know, so and it, it's it's a funny. It's to me, it's all so very very interesting just to see how this whole thing transpires and to realize how. Um, there is no attention for any of the lifestyle factors that we can control in the messaging around the virus and around all not this enough thing. to like me not- this needed to like what I've been seeing of course and I came from a life of you know being overweight smoking eating bad food and you know sitting just sitting around playing video games watching like shows and all this stuff and um that was considered to be very normal. Nobody thought I was doing anything extreme. And then, you know, like whatever, a few years later when I was running around in the streets in my underpants in winter and, you know, doing like carrying sandbags through the street and all this stuff, people think I'm crazy. And, and normal is not the same thing as, as well. It's not the same thing as healthy. It's a very important thing I realized very early on. To me, I was like, I'm excited about this because about this <laughs> pandemic in a way, because I'm like, wow, what if this is the moment where it's like, oh, okay, we got a few things wrong. Um, we should have been whatever, you know, we should have been taxing uh, like uh, diabetes promoting foods and we should have been like making whole like organic foods that make you healthy. We should have made them cheaper. We should have been making sure that people are educated on how to take care of their health. And now we have this predicament with this, virus and the only thing we can really do is everybody just start focusing on your personal health and like that i wish that would be the press conference you know <laughs> like yeah. the press conference would have been like the log of the first press conference would, would have been like okay either we go in lockdown and everything shuts down for uh, we don't know how long or we start optimizing everybody's immune system because that's clearly yeah. the only weapon that we have in relation to what's going on right now and um, and that message has never uh, been there and it's it's still not there but the cool thing is what i like about it now though is that it seems to be a change that's happening from the bottom up. Like just to see how many people are are like, okay, whoa, what can I do for myself to make sure that I'm more resilient and that I'm more healthy and then I live in, at a different standard? Yeah, the gesture I made with my hand there was about the question of like, what is where, like, or there, if you will, like the message isn't there, but there's a resistance thing. I've, the extent that I sort of allowed myself to prepare, I tried actually not be very um, organized with these kinds of conversations because I actually very much prefer to just let them go where they're going to go. Yeah. The extent to which I did feel compelled to prepare, I couldn't help continuing to think in terms of a guy in the U.S. talking to a guy in the Netherlands. And it's hard to get around that. And I kept coming back, of course, to this perception of like, well... Our government matters. The things happening politically matters. Like they, why do they have to matter? I mean, there's only one reason I know of why they matter to me, and it has to do with legislation. Otherwise, I really do want to just ignore most of it, um, because that particular there really does not seem to serve this particular um, possibility. The possibility of changing the norm and what I emailed you about that you seemed. Um, intrigued by was the potential for new agreements, actually uh, 
if I will, yeah, uh, agreements that optimize our lives and actually make being human kind of kick ass. <laughs> so yeah. I don't see the, it's hard to ignore that context and I don't want to. I certainly am curious about the comparisons, but um, it also seems good, like you just said, to focus on the bottom up, but at the same time, like what would it, is it even necessary to call it the bottom? Like are, maybe this is exactly what's needed, that people are just intending, intentionally focusing on what's right in front of them instead of the obvious distractions of the, um, I guess the, yeah, they're just distractions for most people, especially in this country. So, yeah, no, I think the only thing that um, we can really do is focus on our internal locus of control. And people are very caught up in externals, very caught up in what is this rule and what does that news outlet say and what does this guy on Facebook say about that thing and, you know, what's really true and what's a conspiracy. And um, I think it's, imp in well, I don't necessarily think it's important to be updated on the actualities necessarily. It's good to know what's going on, but I feel like... Um, yeah, to what extent, to, though? Yeah, yeah, to what extent do you want to know what's going on? Because you can infinitely... And that's the thing, you know, like uh, uh, Stephen Covey wrote about this uh, this circle of influence so beautifully and uh, where there's, a, there's a, a circle of things, you know, a circle within which lay all the things that we can actually influence. And then outside of there, there's, there's, there's this vast zone of things that we have absolutely no control over. And I think we get into a lot of trouble mentally... And emotionally, if we have a really high zone of awareness, so the things that we know about, but a very tiny zone of influence. So right now, you can literally read all about the reptilian aliens coming to take <laughs> over the world, or you can read all about you know, how this political figure is 100% truthful. And, this and there's so many things, so many variables and factors that we could be aware of. And... The, the tiniest, tiniest percentage of things that we can actually do something about. And a lot of people, they are not doing anything in their lives because if they're in lockdown, they just literally sit still and watch TV and they watch news and they get all this information in, and they don't realize that that's shaping their reality. Well, this time could also, like those people aren't more productive or more helpful in the situation by knowing all of these things. They would actually, like it would be more productive if more people would spend more time with themselves and really asking, you know, what is it that I can contribute and how can I uh, live a life that makes sense to me? So I think this is a very good time to be less and less involved with all of these things that we, we can't really influence. Yes, indeed, indeed. Um, the <laughs> throwing out there the term conspiracy theory and reptilian specifically <laughs> uh, is a little surprising, only because those sound like I, I <clears throat> again look thinking of myself. Well, I'm coming from this very specific context of the U.S. How much is actually uh, how many silly things have actually made it or are relevant to other countries? I don't assume, and I don't want to. Assume, but that sounds like a very specific sort of American kind of craziness. Yeah, yeah. No, we're not. We're not as we're not as silly <laughs> as America in general, though. But I mean, power there's there's a lot of silliness going on. There, it goes around. I mean, the America virus has spread <laughs> all over. Well, all right, um, that's that's important. Let's let's 
dabble with that a little bit because there's an even more exciting thing we can get into after that, I guess. But yeah, to what extent? Because that I am curious on a selfish level, like to what extent has our silliness affected other places? Um, well, it's hard for me to say because I, um, so the last few years I've toured a lot in the US and a lot of Miami. my- Miami, I remember seeing- Yeah, I've, I've been, yeah I've been mostly in, in California. Okay. Um, it's kind of where this whole, all, all of this stuff kind of blew up most and uh, I was touring there. But yeah, no, some of my best friends are in the US now. And, and oh. um, so I kind of always live- uh, not necessarily updated, but at least within that awareness. And uh, yes, yeah, so some of my most awesome times in my uh, in my uh, adventures in the recent years have been in the U.S., where I was there as like little little country boy from the Netherlands, uh, going out <laughs> to the big city and like doing interviews in L.A. and all this stuff. It was it was fun time. So I'm definitely more updated and more aware. Like the first time that I was in front of a Dutch audience and I mentioned um, uh, the concept of flat Earth theory to my audience. Um, they were completely mind blown. Nobody had ever heard about like what there's actually people in America, the far beyond great America, that, <laughs> where um, where people where this is a thing. And I was like, well, some people believe this. I was like, some people believe this. <laughs> this is like, this is a this is a big thing. And um, but no, we're we're catching up. We're catching up with uh, with the silliness. And and um, oh no, really? the, the West, yeah, the European West is heavily Americanized, and I think the Netherlands. And also Scandinavia uh, are among the most Americanized countries uh, in Europe. We're very updated and very involved in, in uh, you know, we're very big fans of, I mean, I have an American accent by choice because, uh, you know, relatively for an American, I have a Dutch accent, but I mean, for any, yes. anybody outside <laughs> the US, I have, I have an, even though I, I've lived in London when I was very small and I used to actually have a, uh, <laughs> a British accent and then I consciously diverted to having an American accent because it's just like, yeah, that's all the, all the books and all the, all the movies. I check out our American. Anyway, so yeah, no, there's there's uh, there's there's silliness going on around here, and I think a big a big issue in the um, in the modern world that we have right now is uh, a lack of scientific literacy and an inability to judge sources and to find truth, which is becoming more and more difficult for everybody. Uh, and on the other side, there's sometimes also a um, uh, yeah, a little bit of an overkill on reductionism. So those seem to be two two Rigidity. sides, you know, like very reductionist, very overly scientific, uh, very big into the common narrative, uh, and, er and everything else is just woo nonsense. And then you have you know the other side of the spectrum. And and I like to I like to kind of like shop around on that whole spectrum and just see what what really holds up for me. Well, of course, yeah, and I've completely seen that with. Uh a little bit I've learned and gleaned of your life through social media, but um, I've been yeah I I knew England was <clears throat> Americanized to some extent, or that the the overlap was there, and I've been to um, Denmark, Norway, and Sweden, but it was a long time ago. It was post nine eleven, so that was there was a major shift I think because of that, but it was still long enough ago that I can't I didn't want to assume that there was that I know what's going on there, but it, it was a one hell of a trip. And I didn't get to the Netherlands, obviously, but Denmark, Norway, and Sweden were extraordinarily remember, memorable. The pretty, Norwegian fjord awesome was actually my first ice uh, experience at That's 16. That's a good way to do it. Yes. It, it was, I 
would like to see how I could do it now. It was I'm 34. When I was 16, I jumped into the Norwegian fjord, and I was shocked you know, on many levels. And I had to get <laughs> right out. <laughs> uh, there was there was no tolerance and no sense of adjusting and and feeling at home in it. But there was a pier. It was a high school trip. There was a a female um, student swimming in it, just happily, just swimming in it like it was a hot bath. And I never forgot that because it it seemed ridiculous. How could she be so comfortable? And, and she's literally just waving and talking from like 50 yards out there in this beautiful fjord. And none of, and most <laughs> of us badass. can't, it, it was shocking. Yeah, I remember it like it was yesterday because it was so profound to me. But of course now having a sense of what was potentially going on, it, uh, I'd like to go back and find out. We'll see. Certainly. The fjords are definitely chilly, but... Um, yeah, that that propensity, I think what you were just describing on both sides, so to speak, is is very relevant to me and what I kind of relevant to what I emailed. Like my perception is that there's a the primary force that is driving at least this country and you've acknowledged perhaps there's more overlap than I wanted there to be. Um but it could be a good thing is what I would call absolutism, this this gravitational, there's black hole towards everything has to make sense and everything has to be known, and absolute knowledge is the only way of life, as opposed to what is so obviously unavoidable, which is a mystery, something unknowable. And it looks like no. we're driving ourselves towards some kind of crash as far as i can see where we either where one way or another we embrace that we are silly animals and we have to accept that there's an inherent mystery to existence yeah no, absolutely <laughs> and i think it's funny because i haven't i've seen a lot of people on social media who have big audiences who are very vocal about what they believe is true and what they think is the right way to look at things and um I've kept myself relatively at the surface because it's just one of those things where I, I'm I'm not ready and I'm just allowing myself to be not ready. And I was like, well, why I'm not ready to say anything about it? Because I don't know. It's like a very large part of not knowing this. And I was like, oh, I'll write that. So I just wrote a post about not knowing, you know, about surrender, about being okay with not knowing. And that was one of my, my most popular posts of last year. So just to say, you know, that that is a sentiment that lives with a lot of people. The so To be allowed to not know, to not be on either side, on, on any side, to not jump any fence towards any side. And just with all of these things have to kind of rest in this awareness of, I do not know. And it gives a lot of... Well, it's very uncomfortable at first uh, if to get used to the idea of not knowing and to not have a strong opinion about it. Um, but it's it's wonderful. It's like one of my favorite kind of like script phrases is to say something like, I don't have enough information to make a well-formed opinion about that. It's like a magic, it's like a magic uh, spell. <laughs> I do not have enough information or insight to have a well-formed opinion about that. So you tell me. And I just listen to people. It's it's pretty amazing um, to me to just, especially since, and this is funny because my audience kind of turns to me 
for and, and this is an interesting thing in my work that I have a certain niche of topics that I talk about that I really enjoy teaching about and that you know I, I know a few things about and I really enjoy speaking about them and then people assume that I have ribs I love seeing the pictures of the <laughs> yeah. lab with the ribs yeah oh, I want to be in that room when you're doing that sometimes that's a lot of fun the ribs yeah. and the lungs yeah blowing up some lungs and yeah it's it's a good time Definitely. And then, it's just, then I'm in my element, you know, and then people assume that I have something to say about everything <laughs> because there's some things that I can very clearly explain and which is my work. You know, I love doing that. And then at the same time, yeah, people ask me, you know, like, what do you think about it? And what is your opinion on this? And I'm just like, eh, I'm, I'm allowing myself to not know. But what I do find though, is I like to, it's not just not, not knowing and not being interested. I like to take a meta perspective. I, I, I am much more interesting, interested in how a certain view of the world and how a certain um, uh, form of reality takes shape in the human mind. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm more interested in the process than in about the content of that point of view. So in conversations that I have with people and listening to people, I'm so interested in how did this particular view of reality take shape? So just to take this example of people uh, who, you know, these flat earthers, I am completely fascinated. And I try to be that without any judgment because I mean, I've done, I I was a high school science teacher. You can take, you know, a a 15 minute experiment and, and prove that the earth is round well you know at least you can extrapolate that you know you can actually knowing with what we know science is replicable so that is my context but then i am so fascinated to see somebody make a completely different point of view from mine and i've always had this i've always had this for for example people with all kinds of religious backgrounds and i've very early decided that none of that was for me but i was also kind of interested and i never really wanted to pick a team in in any direction actually uh, as soon as there's an ism behind something i'm out you know as soon as it's something something ism then it's, it's not me and uh which is funny i used to get in, into discussions with vegans when i was eating plant-based and they're like so you're a vegan i was like no i only eat plants yeah so you're a vegan i was like no i only eat plants it's about my behavior uh, which i'm very far removed from right now actually from from the uh, from that way of eating. But the point is that I don't, I'm not joining the team just because I, I, I'm temporarily exploring the narrative. I'm far more interested in how people make their point of view. So I love talking to people who have this idea that everything that the government and the, and the mainstream media are saying is true. I think that's so fascinating. And in these conversations, it allows me to dissect the, the way that the mind works and the way that we form biases and the way that very personal subjective experiences uh, are, subconsciously extrapolated to very big large constructs of reality and and, you know things like this there's a lot going on but that is something that excites me about this whole thing because now this is the first time in my life that uh, there has been this huge shift in our collective view of the world and the shift is still going another big shift of course was around 9-11 there was also a big a big thing like that happened that shifted perspective but um, it seems like this one is even a bigger, and we're still in the middle of this shift. And I'm, I'm you know, uh, there's moments where it's very difficult for me personally, emotionally, you know, to let go of all of my plans and to have to restructure everything. But at the same time, I'm, I'm very fascinated and kind of excited to see where where this thing is going. You know, like we're gonna be we're gonna be looking back at this a uh, number of years from now and where it's like history. 
And yeah, and we can look back at our own role in, in history and see like, oh, wow, we never expected this to happen. The reptilian overlords actually came. Damn. <laughs> that might be the title of this podcast. Cast in case that's the case. Yeah. Just in case, reptilian overlords, if you're listening, I love you. All hail to the great reptilian overlords. Just want to have that in there. Actually, there's a specific <laughs> line I think you're supposed to use. I'll, I'll Google it and see if I can find oh, it. Oh, man. Okay. You're really <laughs> Never safe. Mind. <laughs> yeah. I want you to be safe. Um, I Actually, I, I um, specifically send this, every one of these episodes, to the reptilians in hopes that they, you know, they really get on board with movement. Thumb it up. Well, yeah. You know, I want them to like it. I want, it'll be good for everybody. The... Uh, I love it. I'm not surprised we were able to get to something like this theme, this kind of theme relatively uh, organically and quickly because it's so clearly the, <laughs> the topic for anyone who's engaged in the, the general questions, I guess, of like, what's now possible? Is there something new that's possible? Well, there has to be some kind of reconciliation with our seemingly shared, as you've more or less confirmed, propensity to try to make it all fit together in this static, plastic, permanent, finished way. There has to be some kind of reconciling with that, dare I say, addiction. And I do think if you pay attention to the way that our brains work, as you said, and the nervous system um, seems to... I guess you could say operate. There is a, it's such an easy way to create a, an addiction is to think like you're going to figure it out. Even somebody, I like, you know, somebody like even Neil deGrasse Tyson, when he highlights, um, I was paying attention to something of his recently because of uh, this research I'm doing. And in his masterclass preview, just the trailer alone, he says the whole point is to teach you to realize that the real value is of, or the, the necessary, I guess you could say, foundation for how to think is to realize that you don't know and to start from there and to embrace that as a foundation of how to live, not to be trying to know it all. First, and plus, it's such an insane desire because what the, you might as well be done then. That's essentially yeah. like a death wish, yeah. which is, again, getting to the, fascinating neurological components of it. It's, it seems like this fork in the road uh, for, I guess we could say civilization, because it's clearly not just an American thing, which is actually good. Um, I'm glad it's not in a way. The, the fork in the road of, of choosing to be the kind, be an animal that embraces the mystery or continues to um, essentially have a, a death drive by seeking completion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And no, I think that's, that's a good way, good way to say it, that the death drive, that's a, that's a good way to say it. It's provocative. But we're trying to reason. stay away from and The funny thing is that we do it to stay away from death. You yes. Know? But it's uh, counter because, to life. <laughs> yeah. But it, and this is a funny thing because we've lost our relationship with death. We don't want mm. to, we don't want to, embrace it we don't want to see it that it's right there because we don't know what it is but there is a, a type of death that we're looking for which is to be done with things we just want yeah. to be done and this is a big I, I don't i think it might be kind of 
the the core paradigm that our a lot of our Western thinking is based on is the I, idea I, that I do at think, some point say, we're going to be done. Like imagine just the way Alan Watts said it so beautifully, like yeah. how you come into the world and they go like, oh, now you just need to, you're not done. You need to go to school. You're not finished. And then you're done with school. And then you get into the, the real world and oh no, but you're not finished. There's this <laughs> corporate ladder and then there's this and then there's this and it's never done. And we keep striving for this doneness for just being just, I know now and now it's done and now it, ready. What I love, by the way, you mentioned, Neil deGrasse Tyson, he has this quote that says, uh, the universe is under no obligation to make sense to you. Right. And I think that's that's a he's very a powerful guy. way to live. Oh, he's a, he's a very smart guy. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I'm, a, I'm a, a science teacher at heart, so he's kind of like, he's, he's, the, he's my rock star in, in many ways. And yeah, I think that um, embracing the not knowingness is in a way, if you, if you, phrase that in a more positive way it's curiosity and curiosity is openness you know and openness is allows for growth and growth is what life is all about and then if you look in the other the other direction is that wanting to know one anytime you want something it only shows a, a lack so a want is made from a place of lacking right so when people are in this fear state of mind and their nervous system is in this high sympathetic state and all they want is resolve they just want to know and whether you're in fight or in flight it's all about getting out of the situation and knowing you're safe or fighting your way out of the situation and knowing you're safe we want to get back to that thing of safe and i think that that is you call that an addiction i think it's a it's a great word it's also an, you know it's an attachment it's an addiction it's a it's a band-aid you know it's it's a it's the exact same thing with a with an addiction. You want a fix, so you can f have this mask kind of substitute for feeling safe that you get from whatever it is, and whether that's actual like substance drugs like cocaine or heroin, or whether that's you know porn or video games, or or whether that's the news, or whether that is finding confirmation that whomever political monkey you've chosen to be on top of the rock says the thing that you want them to say it is all the same thing and it's like seeking externally for some kind of validation some band-aid some temporary thing so you can have that momentary experience of i know and i'm safe and it makes me feel safe and of course from that place you're going to have to keep seeking this out and that's why people are you know they wake up and they're like fucking on their phone and i want to know i want to be updated and what's happening here and and i'm not i'm not a saint in this of course like everybody does this but i think it just requires a level of conscious awareness of the fact that it's a crutch you know it's a it's a band-aid and for me i've i've tried to um in recent months take away more and more things that give me comfort and not because i don't want to be comfortable and it's not that i'm that i'm moving away from self-care but i've noticed for example that denying myself of the immediate comfort that I need is actually a very powerful form of self-care. It's kind of like, you know, I have, I have a five-year-old daughter and it's kind of like helping her understand that sure, you can have the cookie now. It's a short-term thing. You could have the cookie now and feel better for a little bit, but how are you going to feel in an hour? You know, and so what's the midterm? And then what about if we, if we have that cookie every single day for years, where are we going to end up? So I think also just like the the drive for for comfort for this band-aid of comfort um, is one of the things that keeps us away from truth and truth isn't always it's not always fun you know <laughs> we don't and most people don't really want truth they want confirmation
released it. Yes. Oh, wonderful. Um, <laughs> Are you still there? <laughs> <laughs> I guess I have this practice of wanting to like make sure that I, I recognize, I make sure you get a sense that I was listening as opposed to just waiting for my turn. So <laughs> as long as I get a sense a for habit. it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's a good, there you go. Good habit. Now we know. All right, we're done. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, I wrote, a, I'm taking notes for just because there's so many things I knew we'd, I'd want to get into and reminding me, of course, as a father, I want to talk to you about education. I have a 10 year old son as well, FYI. And so I, we can certainly get into that. But, um, no, as far as like to me, like if anybody asks me, why do I explore? Why, why do I do anything with the cold? Why do I take a daily cold shower? Why do I, I went for a hike the other day. Um, and it was, oh my God, it was so fucking great. Um, my partner and I took the dog, for a long hike out in the snow and I didn't wear any. I just wore a hat and gloves and pants and snow boots and it was amazing. And if asked anything about that, I would honestly say it's because it just helps me stay present and connected and remember um, kind of what you just said about comfort, which is to say that I, it's not healthy to just be comfortable all the time. But I don't think of it as uncomfortable. We, I think of it as a practice for remembering and being able to remember what I'm here for and that I'm an animal on this earth. And Alan Watts, I love the way he once said it since you brought him up. Um, <laughs> I studied a bit of him back in college, a bit of his work back in college because I was actually, my degree is actually religious studies, believe it or not. So I have a, okay. a nice. lot of curiosity about religion. The religion and the sciences. Necessary to unify, as you kind of said, or the spirituality or mysticism, however you want to look at it. But he had a he has a great, I think you can look it up and hear him speak it um, like you can on YouTube. He's imagining being an alien, watching the earth sort of go through its cycles. And eventually he, he's being the alien, look, pointing to the earth, saying to the other alien, look, it, it, it's now it's peopling. There's these things, they're people that popping up. There was a moment ago, they weren't there. Look, now this thing is growing people. I think it's a really important re reminder and playful way to think of yourself as just obviously just another thing that's popped up here. And it's so simple yet back to this potential root of the, certainly what we, I, I guess, are willing to call Western civilization and the even if we don't call it addiction, just the propensity for some kind of, and these are just provocative terms, but death drive, I do think it has roots in a, in a way of thinking that is unnecessary. And obviously, with that religious studies background, I do see a link to religious myths. It seems like we could rewrite them, which to me is an extremely exciting possibility. Rewrite the myths of what being human even is without getting lost in those excesses, those excesses to be striving for an ending. If there's any way out, you know, forward, I guess, or out of this, to me, that seems like a necessary ingredient, a very perhaps lofty one, but given how, you know, this is clearly a very interconnected, um, global civilization at this point, maybe it's possible. Maybe we can rewrite these myths and come up with better stories that don't steer us towards that excess. 
Yeah, I mean, that's if if there was ever a time to rewrite the world's story, I mean, it's now, right? Everything <laughs> happens it's so fast, and uh, yeah, no, I think I think um, that a lot of the older wisdoms that were written into the myths apply in 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 ways. But I think this is also a very exciting time to uh, to take new steps forward, and I'm very optimistic about where the world is going and there's a lot of suffering and a lot of chaos going on and a big crisis and everything um but yeah that's what's that's what's needed for change and i think yeah we all get to do our own work in there and uh and and find our our best place of contribution you know i think that's the opportunistic um, optimist that's the opportunistic side of it yeah taking advantage of the opportunity I, I don't want to feed any sort of fear either. I don't think that it's necessary to. I think it is primarily just an opportunity. If there is any sense of urgency, as I perceive it, it is only with regard to this concept of climate change and what that's potentially going to cause. Is that at all on your mind? With Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's actually a topic that I rarely uh, speak about in public, but it's such a thing that's always been part of my life. How could to, it um, be? Yeah. <laughs> to understand the environment. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I uh, I have been investing a lot of time and, and energy into living more and more in accordance with what I think is the... Um, the way out, the way to live, to really live that. And and I don't know why I haven't spoken much about it. It's also because I don't want to be too much of, of an activist. I definitely want to inspire people. But Oh, there's an ism um, for you there. Exactly. That's an ism. And, um, but no, I, I, th- I think that uh, the, 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 the big thing that we all have to face in the coming years is the, the, the environment. And whether it doesn't really matter which uh, topic area of that you choose, there is something going on and there's something that needs to happen. I mean, there's a lot of people who deny that there is climate change or they deny the role of CO2 in climate change. And and I'm cool with that. Sure. We have plenty of other environmental topics that we can tackle if we don't want to talk about, uh, you know, <laughs> CO2 and climate change. There's like biodiversity. Biodiversity is, is to me, a larger concern. Um, or even just pollution. Like, pollution. To me, this, air, a study air came out in 2020. <laughs> yeah. Like this study is May 2020. This is barely, barely anything ago, right? Yeah. Study came out, showed this group of researchers, they found like 500 particles of microplastic in every like cubic meter of air everywhere in the world. Like if you imagine the freshest Fuck. air in the world, like on top of the Him- Himalayan mountain, there's microplastics there. And these microplastics can be traced back to, you know, whatever fucking Mars bars that were thrown out 20 years ago. So today you have breathed in plastic. And there was even an, uh, another study that this, uh, this researcher mentioned where they did autopsies on people with lung tumors. And a lot of these lung tumors were formed around a plastic fiber or a plastic particle that was nestled in the lung, where it's almost so they, they're hypothesizing that these, these lung cancers are actually attempts to... F- so it's almost like an immune response to yeah. fight off these particles. In the- anyway, so the thing is, to me, this is a big deal. So pollution ocean pollution and biodiversity go hand in hand and they, I, even in in my um, my recent uh, I ju- i'm just right now in, uh, currently 
launching my online uh, breathwork masterclass um, and uh, took me a lot of time to figure out which of these topics, like what of this whole thing can I actually teach online? So it's a lot of lecturing. And I added a whole lecture about this connectedness of everything, like to understand that every single bit of plastic that we use, um, uh, that we that we throw out is going to come back with us. It's in our life, you know, it's in our air. As soon as you buy something that's wrapped in single-use plastic and you throw it out, that is in your direct environment. And a lot of people don't understand what environment really means. It is literally what you live in. It's literally, if you think about a fish tank and then there's a fish living in that water, you know, it, that is the skill at which we should be thinking. And I think it's, it's, um, um, I'm, this is another thing that I'm still optimistic about. I'm very optimistic about because I know that, uh, I just have this deep sense of knowing that it's going to take a turn for the better. But the question is, how much will we lose before we do? And yeah. lose is to what extent is it biodiversity? Yeah. Biodiversity is the ultimate. It's the ultimate wealth. It's our ultimate buffer, and that's the thing that we're losing most right now. And there's there's no there's zero scientists disagreeing about this. <laughs> you know, you can't argue. So that's I like to focus on those things. Yeah, the big movie, in that I recall, um, documentary, two thousand nine, I think it was. It was DiCaprio's first one, Eleventh Hour. They're very memorable lines about monocultures and and the degradation of just soil, of course, as a result of thinking in a way that is nowhere close to being um, supportive of diversity at all. Forget about the bio part, just diversity at all. And the obvious degradation of, of land relating to a certain link with our mind, which is the essence of, I think, the work that at least I do and I think you do, somatic work of linking the two, recognizing that the diversity of the quote-unquote environment is as is a kind of mirror or reflection of the diversity of your, I guess you could say, being or your nervous system or your curiosity, as you used the word earlier, and your ability to think to think in a diverse way and to exist in a diverse way and to relate in a diverse way. Um, of course, the one relates to the other, and I don't see how mo- uh, <laughs> getting rid of monocrops and monocultures wouldn't improve our psyche in that exact kind of way. Just we know being in a more diverse environment where the permaculture is the primary driving sort of uh, mechanism or, or uh, yeah, I guess the engineering behind a space is perma- is rooted in permaculture. We know that that, I feel confident to say that we know that that makes people hap- you know, happier and healthier on nearly every level. <laughs> I mean, we are an eco, you are an ecosystem, right? Yeah. That's and, a shorter and, version of what I said. <laughs> yeah. And, and not just, not just as an, like an individual is an ecosystem and your part, like everything is so connected and it's, it's, yeah. it takes, yeah, I mean, this is one of the reasons that I wish we could have like a world a world psychedelic day like once a year where everybody just kind of like dissolves into the field and realizes that everything is connected. I was debating um, whether to bring psychedelics up because I've seen <laughs> you talk about them before. And Don't I, worry, I've, I will, yeah. Uh, I have experience, minimal, but enough to definitely 
hold my own. I've had I've drank ayahuasca before, and I feel like I have a pretty good sense of things because of that. Um, I think you can you can get one of those trips and kind of see clearly. I say. So yeah, uh, yeah. You can you can have a thousand of them and still not know what it's about, though. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's a thing. I had a pretty wild time. It was a good, it was a good thing to do, but it was a wild trip. It was with a Peruvian shaman, um, very well organized, very very life changing to say the least. But yes, a World Psychedelic Day. How would we organize that? What would that? <laughs> That's a good question. Planning to organize that? <laughs> no, I just like it was funny because I was having this very deep discussion with um, with a friend of mine, and we were we were discussing this thing of like if you would have one wish, what would it be? If you would have one <laughs> wish, what would it be? And like my my first uh, tendency would be to be like uh, world peace or you know like all of the trash disappearing from from the natural environments something like that would always be my one wish you know and um then i realized that you know that's of course a one-time thing and i kept thinking about this and i was like well what you want to get to the root what we would need is for what i would love is for the whole world to experience a moment of transcendence where they realize that all of these specifics of daily life that we caught up in, all of these attachments and addictions and all the stuff that we spend most of our time on and, and sacrifice a lot of our life to have, um, to be just momentarily detached from that and to realize that all of these things are isolations from a source and that to have this source experience and it, um, the uh, and it doesn't have to be through psychedelics to experience this source connection and to and of course everybody turns this this experience into something else a moment of transcendence a moment of being completely detached from you know from from your ego from your thoughts from your belief systems um, and then everybody turns that into something else but I would just be fascinated to know to just to just see all of these you know billions of different expressions from that experience what would that what would that mean you know for everybody to be lifted from the day-to-day struggle and strife and worry and anxiety and and you know the hangings on of daily life and to just for 10 minutes you know like like a very short dmt trip or whatever a moment of transcendence and meditation or you know through breath work through cold exposure but just to have that moment of of just knowing like, oh, okay, wow, it is all connected. I am puny. Everything that I worry about day to day is nothing compared to the big, to the big thing. You know, death is imminent. It's going to happen. I have this, this minuscule moment of human life and I get to do something with that. What am I doing with it? And to just really deeply ask that question, I think. Um, and at, at some level, I feel right now... Um, Currently, with the global crisis and everything, there's more and more people actually asking that question. Still, from this fear-based mindset, but I think uh, there's there's a next step in that that we're that people might start taking soon. I wonder, even though the reptilians may be listening, <laughs> would you even like privately maybe not call it a crisis? Like I, I realize this that it might seem insensitive not to call it a crisis, but as we're describing this, it's almost like a global opportunity is really how we are relating to it. Of course, yeah, it could be both. <laughs> yeah, it's both. It's just a word that you that you call it. I think 
I think words like crisis and chaos aren't um, necessarily negative. As a matter of fact, the, the 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 biggest evolutions, uh, like the things I am most grateful for in my personal life, have been moments that I have in the moment experienced as tremendous crisis. Um, crisis of belief systems dissolving or crashing or plans that I had no longer happening and you know uh, things like depression and burnout and divorce and addiction and like all of these things that have passed through that I have passed through in my life that in the moment were like no I want to hold on no please don't this is the worst thing that could happen and then you know in that crisis finding just the the most amazing nuggets of of uh, of pure like purpose and you know that, that that's so that's a good way to put it yeah i think to embrace uh it's just like death death is a negative word why why is death a negative word it's a transition you know like we are here because uh, other things have died <laughs> it's amazing and uh, you know it's it's these things that i i think are interesting how how the labeling of certain experiences and states is so strong like tired is a negative word in the Western world. Oh, tired is fucking awesome. If you're in bed and you want to sleep, <laughs> like I've, I know so many people who wish they could be tired when they wanted to sleep, you know, and and then and you know they want to try all these different biohacks to improve it. But first, they have to embrace the fact that tired is a good state to have if you want to sleep, <laughs> you know. So, yeah, I think um, in and it's also completely okay. And I, what I like about calling it a crisis instead of just an opportunity is to at least acknowledge that it sucks. You know, of course, we can be optimistic and see amazing things in the future, but we also have to have the human experience of suckiness. You know, this whole situation is like, ah, oh, damn, I had plans and I was going to do this and this doesn't work out and I love traveling. I mean, I have it in, in 2020, I had 12 international trips planned and that was just what was planned in february it would have probably been like 15 trips where i would travel to new places and go like to other places of the world to teach that i'd never been and like all of this stuff that i had planned so it sucks yeah it sucks um but i think it doesn't make ne crisis uh negative but it's good to still call it that because i also know people who do this spiritual bypassing thing yeah that was the word that you just reminded me of spiritual yeah where bypassing. it's like oh no but it's all great and it's all gonna go to better things and i'm like yeah but at the same time there's innocent people dying and their families are suffering and kids are losing their parents that's also happening this is also very much what's going on and um so i think it's it's just good to have full respect and you know to hold the space to have that complete human experience of crisis but to acknowledge that it is eventually it is a you know well, not even a good or a bad thing. It is a it is a desired thing. Crisis is something I think we should be desiring from time to time. Well said. Yeah, it's a good reminder. I appreciate that. Letting it happen. It's a big part of it. Allowing for what is, I guess you could say. Yeah, Absolutely. certainly not trying to escape it. Whatever that, however you unintentionally or intentionally try to escape it don't i like it don't for, that's a good one <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know yeah i'm th i'm thinking about myself and i know that i have done that i definitely have done that and i'm sure still attempt to 
and I have to catch myself. It's an important reminder. Suckiness. Let it suck. Um, the word divorce jumped out to me. Did you, have you gone through that? You've been divorced? I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. Are you married now? No, no. No. Okay. I have uh, an amazing girlfriend, but I'm not married. Got it. Yeah, I didn't, didn't uh, know that part. Something about divorce kind of, yeah, it's, we, the saying over here is that it's one of the three immersed things that you can go through, of course. What's the other two? I think the other two are moving, which is absurd because moving can be great, and um, death of a loved one. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, the cliches over here. No, I think death of a relationship is, it's, you know, it's, it's one of the deaths that we can have in our, in our life. Uh, because in relationship, we form versions of ourselves, And when the relationship ends, then we need to let go of those versions of ourselves and the attachments. So it's, it's, it can be seen as a, as a kind of, as a kind of death as a transformation. Mm-hmm. I think though that this is one of those, one of those constructs that, um, you know, marriage is one of the big promises and romance and love. One of the big promises of the world, just like success and just like career and, and academics and all this stuff. It's one of the boxes to tick. And then if you tick the box and then um, uh, it doesn't work out, then yeah, a lot of people see that as the worst thing that could possibly happen because this huge construct that you have lived up to or or have believed in your whole life suddenly starts to crumble. And uh, that's tough. That is definitely tough. I, I must say that divorce is probably the the toughest thing that I have been through in my, um, well, one of the, yeah, yeah, would definitely be in the top three <laughs> of most difficult <laughs> phases to go through. But, right. and that, and, but that's, uh, there's a big difference between it being the most difficult thing to go through and it being the worst thing that ever happened. And this is a distinction that a lot of people have a hard time making then. So it's the worst thing that can happen. So you should resist it in every possible way. And if something that you don't want to happen happens, then you have failed somehow, then that thing should not have happened. And, um, and just like death of a loved one, it is absolutely guaranteed. Abs- 100% absolutely guaranteed that you will lose everyone you love. Right? A divorce is imminent. Until death do us part. It's in the fine print. It's not even in the fine print. It's like the big print. <laughs> it's right there. The divorce is imminent because at some point you will die. And uh, and we can, you, know, you can talk about spiritual things and afterlife and soul connections and all these things, of course. But in the form in which we attach to things, they will crumble. As, uh, the, the second you hold on to something, you have an absolute guarantee that that thing is is going to not be at some point. Including the entire planet, guys. Come on, you know. So, um, but that doesn't. That shouldn't pe- keep people from attaching and from trying and from having it. It's it's a beautiful experience that we get to have as humans. The joke of a murder suicide came to mind, but uh, I paused. What's the say. joke? Oh well, just that that's the only way you can save yourself is a murder suicide. <laughs> <laughs> um, ha ha. Education. All right. This, I was waiting on bringing this one up, but I think that it's increasingly obvious that it's it's time. So, e- 
all of this to me comes back to some kind of question about how do we educate ourselves? How do we, of course, we're constantly learning, but uh, how do we educate our children? What are they learning? What are the stories that they're taking in and taking, like, especially in school? Um, to even change that perception of, of quote-unquote endings to improve that, which to me seems like a possibility for us to have a different relationship with the reality of think something's going to end inevitably. There are certain endings which are imminent. Something new is also imminent. You, you know, how to, no matter how you frame it, you have to deal with that. For that to be a foundation of how we live requires, a, as far as I can tell, reformation of how we educate and what education is even about. Are you seeing... How how does your is your kid in school? Your daughter, five year old daughter, she's in school. Yeah, how's that going? <laughs> well, it's a blessing because I have um, I've never enjoyed school much at Not all. Surprising, it was always bad, <laughs> bad for me. And um, it was very. And then I worked in education, of course, for a very long time. And I was always trying to be the rebel and trying to change the system and. Even um, while you were a science teacher? Well, that was my way of trying to change things. Like yeah. <laughs> I only I only took the job because I thought I could make a difference. I didn't want to be a science teacher at all. That was not my plan. Like I, I was studying but I wanted to study biology. Uh, but I was I sucked at school and I I didn't go a lot. I just left and got high most of the time. So by the time I stopped doing that and I found my love for, refound my love for biology and realized I wanted to, um, yeah, explore the fields of science, I had to find a way to get to university. And over here, you have kind of like the, the um, so you have, in a way, you have college and university and university is more scientific and college is more practical and like we have a different different system. Anyway, I had to do a year of, of biology. So I wanted to study biology in university, which is scientific education. And then in order to be able to do that, I had to first do one year of uh, a teacher's education uh, uh, for a biology teacher to be a biology teacher. Uh, and then I would pass that and then I could use that to go to the actual thing that I wanted to go to, which is to study science because I wanted to uh, devote my life to science and environmentalism. I wanted to like fucking, you know, hug a wheel and save a tree and which I still want to do, um, of course. And it. then, yeah. And then I suddenly was in front of a group of kids and I, I was a teacher. I was just in that role because I had to do an internship and they actually let me teach. And I was like, they're actually letting me teach? Well, all right, let's just have some fun with these kids. And uh, I was already performing on stage at the time as a musician and I love just being in front of a group. So I was like, yeah, let's, let's roll. Let's just see what happens. And then they actually offered me a job there. And that's when I, when I got into teaching. And uh, the reason that I took that job was because I was like, okay, I want to change the world. That's very been very clear to me as a kid. I want to do something. I want to make an impact. I want to do something great and make things better. I can now go and study for five more years to become a scientist and then work 10 more years in academia uh, and then eventually maybe have this moment where I reach something and I achieve something and I make a little difference or I maybe you know, study like a, a type of animal or a type of whatever ecosystem and make a little difference there. Or... I can just talk to these kids about all of that and inspire them to live 
in a way that, you know, is good for the world and to make them think in a different way. And, uh, and I was like, I don't agree with barely anything that goes on in the education system. And now I'm here. I'm the education system. As soon as I close the door of my classroom, it's all me. So I was just like, yeah, this is, this is my best point of activism. Let's just make a difference. Cause suddenly I realized that every hour, and this is how the, uh, I don't know how it is exactly in the U S but I just teach. And then a group of kids comes in 25 kids for an hour in an extremely open and, 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 like malleable phase of their life and I get to influence them and then they walk out and I get to this, get to the, well, not determine, but I, I can make a choice as to whether they, you know, walk out with a smile, whether they walk out with, you know, inspiration, with energy more than what they came in with. And I get to do that. So that's why I, I was like, yeah, this is where I can actually make a difference. But I didn't, I, I didn't agree with anything that happened in education, which incidentally made me a very popular teacher and also made me a good teacher because I didn't care about sticking to the guidelines of this needs to happen in exactly that way. All that mattered was results. And what I learned through all of that is that, so to actually get back to your question, the, um, my daughter enjoys school. She loves all the things that I hated. So it's a, it's a, it's a big blessing to me um, because it is allowing me to see education in a different light. And I was like, my daughter will never have to like sit down and shut up in school. She, I wanted to be in a school. She can play and run around. And, and as soon as my daughter could, could like whatever, she was like three or four, she, she wants to sit on a chair at a desk and do assignments. And I was like, that, what? <laughs> you know how hard I've worked to not have to do that? And... Um, but so that just means that everybody has their own way of learning mm -hmm. and that the education system as a whole, like for example, my daughter's school is very good at this, but the system as a whole is not very good at serving people in the place where they need to be served. And now the education system as a whole is trying to do that. It's trying to serve everybody, but not based on what they actually need, but based on what they want. So now we have this whole generation of kids that can't, can't take disappointment and they can't set goals and they can't work their ass off because, you know, they're just being, trying to be served on aspects that they don't need to be served on, you know? So it's kind of like, what it comes down to is the paradigm of education that our current education system has been built on does not match the way that the world works and what we need in the world. The education system used to be like, this is the standard. And if you want to be anything and achieve anything in modern society, you need to live up to this standard. And well, then you the can Alan have Watts. the dream. It's the, what you said about Alan Exactly, Watts. it's that it's thing. That foundation, so yeah. Live up to the standard or not. Now, nobody knows what the standard is anymore because the world changes every single day. So the whole idea that there's a building that you need to go to to get the information to live up to the standard doesn't work anymore. As a, I don't know, I, I think it was no. Uh, yeah, I don't remember who said this, but some at some educational conference. <laughs> yeah, is that I was going to say Noam Chomsky. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say. But anyway, it was some some genius who said we don't. I need assumed more you were going to say Noam Chomsky. So I was yeah, like, yeah, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> um, we don't need more bricks in the wall. Yeah, we just that's not no longer how the world works. So uh, yeah, Buckminster Fuller had a similar quote, I think. But either way, good. Yeah, relevant. Could be him. Relevant thinker. Yeah. Um. Go on though. <laughs> I don't want to interrupt your flow. Oh, no, I was, I was, I was, I was finishing <laughs> closing statements. Um, no, so I think that um, 
right now, um, what I think should be the primary aim of education is to produce humans who are capable of self-directing their learning and self-directing their well-being. I think those are the two things. If you can do that, if you can self-direct your learning so you can determine what is the next thing for you to learn, then you can learn anything because you don't need to go to the school or the library to get the information. We need to be formed and shaped as whole beings that can have self-inquiry and wonder what is the next step in my development because then you can learn anything in the modern times. And then also, it's, it's very adjacent, how do I self-direct my well-being? How do I make sure that I function optimally as a being in this world? If the education system would serve to answer, to, to, to produce people in a way, because it's still a, a, a production mechanism um, that can uh, have those two core skills, metacognition right, and uh, self-directed well-being, I think that would solve a lot of issues that we have in the world right now. Okay. I appreciate that. I still, I want to ask you about metacognition in a second, but I still wonder if education as a, you know, if it has any systematized components, um, the self-directing mean that there aren't foundational sort of agreements or understandings or even stories, if you will, that are shared and intentionally re, um, represented in the educational model? In other oh, words, absolutely. Yeah, okay. absolutely. No, the, I, I think there should be standards. So both, yeah. Yeah, they, no, but the point is that the standard is not in charge. Uh, yes. that's, okay. Yeah, so the, the um, and also we need to learn to understand who we are in relation to the standard who we are in relation to yeah, the truth, that's the added who part. we are in relation to the information. And that is uh, an area where there's not a lot of attention. Well, the, the implication that you just clarified is that there is an agreed upon truth. So. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I didn't want to assume that that was implicit because um, I don't think it is. And especially if the... As we kind of already acknowledged, if one of the current sort of crises of this moment, one of the aspects of this crisis, or as the uh, documentary coined it so well, the dilemma, the social dilemma, um, which I think is, a, if you've watched that, a relevant topic. Um, one of the key you know, points that we've already kind of acknowledged is that there isn't a shared understanding of truth, if you will, or reality. And yeah, if we had that, it would make complete sense for then people to explore with that foundation, with that structure, with that context. I guess to me, it's a it's almost like a chicken and the egg kind of thing. Like, do we need the context first, or? Um, and I guess to me, we we do. I don't know how we can get past. I don't know how we can do anything without that context. And it depends on the scale. But I, as I perceive even here in the context of this country on this scale, which is smaller than arguably <laughs> um, the entire Western civilization, I would imagine it's smaller, The even that scale seems so challenging. You keep bringing up flat earthers. Like, okay, so is that foundation of a shared reality um, 
are we moving away from that in a way that we can predict that can we can we project into the future that will we will figure that out or is it something that we are moving away from in a an increasingly dangerous um destructive way that's the foundation of this crisis as i see it of course it's not just about I mean, biodiversity reflects that, the lack of um, awareness of, like you said, the ecosystem that we are in and of ourselves, and then that we are within relationship to each other. Even that, understanding that would be the reality, the shared foundation that is our story. Um, I wonder to what extent we can do anything without that shared understanding. And I'm not the only one wondering it. That was the whole thesis of that documentary. Um, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But the one thing that Everybody I, needs to jump into a fjord, as I can say. That's, <laughs> that's definitely true. Yeah. That would be the easiest way. <laughs> no, but I think that's a pretty good point, though. Because um, if we don't have that, then what's next? So what we can what we can acknowledge is that we have very similar experiences. And so to anybody jumping into that fjord will be the same experience. Like that it's fairly that, that, objective. Yes. There's it, no, well, no ignoring So that. our subjective experience can be relatively benchmarked towards something like this. So yeah. to me right now and I don't have I don't have any answers, I feel, but well, we my don't. experience, what has been most helpful to me is to find each other in the experiences that we do share. Like the, the, an experience like jumping into the cold and being like, yeah, it's fucking cold. I agree. <laughs> I see you. I see you in your coldness and I feel cold and we understand each other because we feel the same thing. In that same way, like we could have a, a, a world jump into an ice plunge day, but we could also have a, a world acknowledge each other's grief day, whatever it is. Like we all experience these uh, these very raw human experiences that are very similar to all of us, but completely unique to each of us. And uh, I think, well, to me, it's just very helpful to find connection in that profound um uh, humanness, as messy as it gets, and as weird and difficult to understand as it can be, but really to, uh, yeah, to see each other in that, and because there's a lot of things going on of people discounting other people's experiences, and you know, like, yeah, and um, not allowing each other to really experience it as it is, and through that, not allowing ourselves to really fully embrace whatever is going on. So I like to, to me, it's just helpful to focus more on that level to be like, okay, but then what do I find to be true? And how can I find some kind of middle ground, even with people that are completely in a different, live in a completely different reality than me? What do we have in common? Well, we both want what's best for our children. We both love our parents. We both, you know, like we both experience the same fucking fight flight response when we jump into a fjord. <laughs> And I hope we all want clean air. That seems yeah. like something that would make a lot of... It would be easy-ish, relatively easy to agree upon. Hey, you threw out another wonderful um, world blank day. I like all of these ideas. You should, If you're not writing these down and you're not, if you're not proposing these to uh, 
some some relevant public party uh we, that that's worth thinking about <laughs> but you mentioned like what would your one thing be not world not necessarily something as predictable if you will as world peace or um the other one you mentioned was uh, there was a list of them that was good and and clear i've thought a lot about if there was one thing education wise we could add to the mix and perhaps make somewhat at least in public context the way public education works here it's obviously everybody is meant to have the same um systematized sort of approach and unfortunately yes the standards are also systematized but if if we made nonviolent communication a normal class a class that everybody had to take i think that would have a very dramatic relatively efficient effect um, are you familiar with NVC? And yeah. Yeah. I, I do think because of, I mean, obviously this is all about communication. We're only possible, only able to do this because of language. It seems like that would have a, a pretty efficient impact if that was a standard learning that. Yeah, I think so too. Um, and you're talking about em empathy in a way, and that is the whole point of NVC. Yeah, but even before that, what I would think would be the thing for me would be um, physiology-based interventions. So to understand... Oh, I like that. The, <laughs> yeah. To, to understand that... To understand state from a physiological perspective. To, un to have people actually understand why is it so difficult? Like, why am I violently communicating? Mm. What state am I in? Why am I anxious? What state am I in? Right. So like then understanding it, what sympathetic and, or, and parasympathetic. Well, yeah. And just to understand, yeah. just having, so this is in, in, um, you know, it's called self-awareness and in polyvagal theory, it's called self-regulation, auto-regulation, the ability to have an inner sense, an interoception or an inner, an, a neuroception of what is my inner state and how does that relate to my behavior, to my changes, to my um, uh, relationships, to my interactions with other people, to my ability to take up information, to really understand, to, to be able to feel a shift in your body before your mind turns it into a concept or an attachment or an idea. It's just be like, oh, I'm now experiencing, you know, and then you can even already give it a label. Or you can just say like, oh, my heart rate is up. Oh, I'm experiencing anxiety. To have this detachment of, of understanding that it is just a state that needs to pass and that we can move through that. So I think, um, yeah, a lot of schools are doing yoga now. And I think, uh, but I think breathing, breathing education um, could be a major, major shift towards that. Just to understand that there is a tool, that there are tools, breathing and, and meditation and things like this, that you always have with you that allow you to self-regulate, to come back to yourself. Because even with all of this, this information landscape and with this circle of influence and all the stuff we've talked about, before you can understand what is truth and before you can decide this, is, this serves me or this does not serve me, you have to first be able to check in with yourself and be like, where am I? How do I feel? What is my current state? And what does that, how does that cloud my judgment? How does it change my interpretations? How does it make me you know, judge other people more or less. And I think if, if we can find a way to teach people that, then 
from that position, you can then make that choice, for example, of using your skill of nonviolent communication to see where somebody is. Because a very important thing in nonviolent communication, it's not a trick. It's not scripts that you learn. It is actually acknowledging that that somebody else that is in front of you might be in a different state. They might be experiencing something you have no idea about. And you're deciding to communicate in a way that, that doesn't trigger any of any unnecessary uh, pain or, or, or resentment or uh, protection mechanisms or anything like that. So that would definitely be um, be one for me. Because also like, yeah, nutrition, for example. Everybody goes like, schools need more about nutrition. The kids need to learn about nutrition. Well, yeah, sure. But then who's going to decide what nutritional advice they should follow? Are we going to bring in the vegans or the carnivores? You know, you, you tell me because both those sides have, they, they have an equal amount of equally highly educated, equally well-read and equally genius people uh, reading all of the exact same studies and having completely opposing positions. So who are we going to call in to give them that advice? Well, we don't. We have to learn kids, like if you want to teach them about nutrition, to be able to feel inside themselves, how does my state change based on what I eat? How does it influence my sleep quality, my thought quality, my levels of energy? How can I determine? And of course, there's, there's boundaries to that. There, you can't always feel everything inside yourself, but there's an amount that you can feel. Now, it's so funny. My daughter, every now and then, there's this really cool organic, um, uh, like, place close to a school that sells like organic local made like all healthy cookies and whatever and i'm like oh cool every now and then we go there like a little after school treat and we get like this this cookie that fits within <laughs> the guidelines of her dad's uh, splurges uh, allowances and uh, and then she was she had it and i was like oh it's amazing it's such good it's my favorite cookie and then she was like isn't it weird that i always get a tummy ache after i eat this and i was like you've you've known this all this time you haven't told me that this hurts you and to me, that's like, as a parent, I'm just like, okay, what now? How do I, what's the next step here? <laughs> um, uh, because, and it's, it's, it's funny, you get like caught up in this whole thing of like, okay, but she can feel it. That's the point. She can feel that, oh, wait, this is actually not serving. But then how do you make that choice for yourself? I think those are good questions that, that we should be helping kids ask. Yeah. And as the hopefully learned and relatively self-aware and experienced adult slash parent, that seems like one of those moments where you you make a boundary quite clear. Like, well, this is why. <laughs> yeah. This isn't that mysterious. Yeah. It's <laughs> not one, that mysterious. This no. one could be, this is an easy one, dear. Thank you. This is, yeah. an, this is a fairly straightforward Yeah, but at the one. same time, it's like, okay, so now, so what are the options then, right? Because then it could also be that what she, so what is she going to learn? She could also easily learn that, oh, if I don't tell her him about the tummy ache, I'll get to have the cookie more often, right? So it's like, huh, interesting. And that is, that is what a lot of people do in school. That's exactly what they learn. Like they learn to fake all the right things so they get the right grades and the right kinds of approval that they want instead of actually doing the thing that's right for them because there's a standard that they're being judged by. How are you on time? I just want to be respectful. I'm running out. <laughs> yeah, I am actually impressed. Uh, it's been an hour and a half. And you're, when do you go to sleep? Must be pretty soon now. Pretty soon, yeah. Yeah, good. Let's get you to bed. Um, the la everything you just said there is, seems like a good place to, to pause with respect to self-awareness, of course, as the way I heard you say it, the really the main need. And there's no 
it's all valuable, obviously. You know, my pers- my relationship with NVC is something that I just picked up along the way as a potentially um, repeatable, unfortunately, sort of system, an easily relatable system that could fit into that normal educational model. Yeah. And it may, obviously not necessarily, not definitely, it may catalyze self-awareness because it's meant to um, force you to observe yourself primarily, to observe a situation. But I agree, yeah, something much more directly somatic and, of course, neural that focuses on neuroplasticity and is kind of movement-based seems more efficient. Uh, it's just perhaps not as mainstream yet. Like I, My background is actually a lot of my movement, if you will, coaching is, is rooted in Feldenkrais method, um, which I'm guessing you may have... I'm familiar with him. Yes. So awareness through movement is the literal practice. And of course, in every aspect of that, you're meant to be paying attention to. Literally, how can I make something more efficient for myself and easier and pain-free and do it in in an increasingly, I guess you could say, fluid way? That's not everything, of course. Sometimes you do need to punch a bag <laughs> but uh sure do. Yeah. carry a heavy bag for that matter something i know we both like to do so i think it all comes down to yeah the one part that is in con- that is consistently valuable about all of this is is relearning how to grow and then focusing on growth as in a, as a as a constant in life not something that ends i think that's a really important theme here and even if Absolutely. that, if if we at least mostly understood that, what a game changer! Growth, growth and life go hand in hand. Learning and living go hand in hand. They're not not something that ever ends. And by God, why the hell would you want it to? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Please don't. Please don't. And really, just take a moment and think about that. Go jump in the fjord and then think about it. Um, let's get you to bed. I, it's still bright and sunny here, so. I'm actually going to go get some nice water because our delivery uh, isn't coming till next week. What is your your heavy bag up to though? What are you Where are you at with that? I'll leave you with that. My heaviest? Yeah, where are you? I know you were working on, or it seems like you yeah, were working on that. Yeah, it's uh, well, yeah. My last um, test was 180 kilos, and that's for so what? that's uh, remind me for uh, that's. Uh, Right about around. 400 pounds. It's about four. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Good for you. <laughs> yeah, that was, that, was, that was something. I don't know. For some reason, I'm exponentially stronger on heavy loaded carries than on anything else. Like, <laughs> it's crazy. I can walk a hundred and like a 400 pound bag um, for 20 meters, but you know, I struggle on, on like whatever, 220 pound back squat for five reps, you know? It's, so it's kind of like, yeah, I don't know. I love. Uh, I have. I have a freakish kind of talent for uh, for heavy loaded carries, <laughs> which is weird. Like my overhead press, my just strict press is like fifty kilos, and then okay. my overhead carry, so a yoke carry overhead locked out, is like hundred and fifty. So it's like a yeah, it's it's interesting. Anyway, hmm. yeah, 
tomorrow morning, first thing, it's going to be carrying more bags. Nice. Have right. fun. Well, thanks for this. It was awesome. Thank you. Talk to you and let me know if I can help uh, promote the show. Yeah, definitely. And we'll probably email you for a picture if, um, if you feel like sending one. Yeah, definitely. All right. Thanks, Casper. Sleep well. Thank you. All right. Have a great, great day over there. Yeah. <laughs> Bye-bye. Good night. Okay, there you have it. What do you think? What would you do if you could catalyze one particular shift or one particular um, piece of awareness? What would you do? What would, it, what would be yours? Please tell me. I'm curious. And if you haven't studied NVC, I do recommend it. I, um, it's, a good, it's a good practice for self-awareness, which is basically what Casper and I were suggesting is the key there. No matter how you create more self-awareness, whether it's through a book or some sort of directly movement-based somatic kind of practice, or hell, a good healthy use of psychedelics. And I emphasize healthy. I really emphasize that part. Um, no matter what, it can be beneficial and we need more of it. It's probably the only thing that's going to move this species forward. So let's get on that awareness train. Most importantly, thank you. Thank you, Casper. And uh, I think I've said enough. I said enough in the intro. Just uh, keep doing you. Thanks so much. It was nice to not... It was nice to connect with somebody that I've never met in such a wonderfully authentic and, and clear way. We need more of that. Go meet somebody. It's good for us. Good for you. Good for us. All right. Bye-bye.